I come to you this morning to share and continue to share in the book of Ecclesiastes. You might like to turn there with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Is life just? What do you think about justice system? Oh, a few grunts. Our justice system. And I'm not just talking about Australia, I'm talking about the justice system of, uh, of the world. It's not good. It's not a good justice system. John Dorman Elliott, Kenneth Biggins and Peter Scanlon were charged by the National Crime Authority in 1993 with stealing $66 million from the brewery that they, they worked for. In 1996, Justice Frank Vincent ruled that the evidence of some 130 witnesses be suppressed as it had been improperly gained. The prosecutor had no other evidence, so the three were declared not guilty. The Victorian Appeal Court subsequently found that the justice was wrong and that the evidence had been properly obtained. However, Elliot, Biggins and Scanlon could not be retried as this would constitute double jeopardy. So they got away with it. Our justice system. Here in Adelaide in 1978, Edward Splatt was convicted of the murder of Mrs Simper, a 77-year-old woman. His appeals were unsuccessful. He always said he was not guilty. He went to jail. A media campaign led to a royal commission which overturned the conviction in 1984. He spent six years in jail, only to be found that he wasn't guilty. Just two examples of the fact that injustice does exist in this world. The guilty sometimes go free. Get rid of that. I'm hearing feedback and I don't know, I don't want you to be distracted. The guilty sometimes go free, the innocent are sometimes punished. And often we say life is just not just. It's not fair. And as we turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 16, we're going to see that Koheleth, the teacher, looked around and he observed that the very same kind of things, the very same injustice were widespread in his days as well. This is where the saying came, there is no, nothing new under the sun, which is what we've been looking at, under the sun, haven't we? There's nothing new under the sun. Look at verse 16. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, there is wickedness. Now Solomon seemed to be quite definite here. Under the sun, without God, life is not just. Now do you remember what under the sun, the whole idea of the book of Ecclesiastes, based on those three words, under the sun. I found another quote. I'm, trying, I'm going to give you a quote each time that I go into it so you understand what under the sun means. And I found this quote to help you to remember what under the sun is. It says, under the sun is the futility and meaningless of life lived only for self and the moment without gratitude to or regard for God and his ways. So that's under the sun. 
Okay? The futility and meaningless of life lived only for yourself and for the moment. So under the sun, in a life lived without God, in the futility and meaningless of life lived only in the, in the moment, in the places where justice should be, Solomon says there's only wickedness. Just like today, Solomon saw that innocent people were being punished, guilty were being set free. Why is this so? Why does this happen today? Why did it happen in Solomon's day? Because we have to understand the problem with our judicial system. It's only as good as the people who participate in it. The police, the prosecutors, the defence, the, the witnesses, the jurors. Let me read to you the premise of a book that's entitled A State of Injustice. This is what the, the premise of the book is. He wrote, most people presume that the legal system works pretty well at dispensing justice. As a community, we tend to believe that the fairness, rigour and democratic principles inherent in our justice system means that the presumption of innocence is protected, that only the truly guilty are sent to prison. And his book goes on to say, but this is not always the case. In fact, a little bit cynically, I would say that it's been said that a jury consists of 12 people chosen to decide who has the better lawyer. Sometimes that happens. A little bit cynical, but the fact is our judicial system doesn't work perfectly because sinful men are incapable of bringing about perfect justice. And this is what Solomon was seeing in his day. This is what we see today. Nothing is new under the sun. But Solomon, as he continues to think in his own mind, looked beyond what he saw under the sun. He understood that there was more here than meets the eye, because he gives us a conclusion in verse 17 to, this, to verse 16. I'll read verse 16 again. He says, Even though I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness, verse 17, I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed or every purpose is here. In other words, in due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad for all their deeds. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I see all this happening, wickedness where righteousness should be. But he says, in due season, God is going to judge everyone. Solomon actually took his own spiritual principle that he just taught earlier in chapter 3. If there's a, a season for every purpose under heaven, which he just told us all the way through chapter or the beginning of chapter 3, then there must be a season for justice. A season for injustice, a season for justice. And that's what he says, in due season God will judge everyone. Therefore, rather than simply getting angry and sad about all the injustices in the world, he went on to trust God to make things right in the end. God will judge. You might, for those of us who have studied Genesis, you might remember Genesis 18.25. This is a verse that I continually fall back on when I see injustice. 
In this passage, Abraham is interceding for Sodom. You don't have to tell I'm just going to read one verse. And Abraham says to God, Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, God. But then Abraham says in that same verse, But shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Yes, he will. And I fall back on that verse so often. When I see injustice, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? But you see, as Christians, we don't live under the sun, do we? Well, I hope we don't. Our confidence should not lie in a justice system that is under the sun. Our confidence should lie in the Chief Justice himself, Jesus Christ. That's where our confidence lies. God has promised a day. He has promised us, as Christians, a day when his Son will judge the righteous and the wicked. You might like to turn to Acts chapter 17. Just two verses there, but seeing our home groups have started the book of Acts, you know where it is, you've probably got your little marker in there. Acts chapter 17, just going to read two verses. God has promised a day when his son will judge. Acts 17.30 Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. I'm sure you haven't thought much about it, but you know that the day has been fixed, that we will be judged, that all things will be judged. The day has been fixed. I don't know it. (laughs) No one here knows it. But the day has been fixed. And so we as Christians should live in the sure hope of that certain day And that great expectation of that day. You see, God will judge both the righteous men and the wicked for a time for every matter and for every purpose is there. That's Solomon's conclusion to seeing wickedness in the places where justice should have been. Now, I probably would have stopped at that situation and I I say, well, I see that, Solomon. No problems, I see that. I see injustice, but God will judge it one day. But Solomon, because that's his whole idea of this book, is he's searching. And so he continues to debate in his own mind. And all I can say is he just went down further and further as he continued to debate. Look at verse 18. I said to myself, I think this is a problem we... we we have, I said to him, now, go and talk to someone. I said to myself, he, he didn't have anyone to talk to. I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath And there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. All go to the same place, all come from the dust, and all return to the dust. Solomon should have stopped in those first two verses we looked at. 
but he didn't. He kept thinking in his own mind. Now the connection between verse verse 17 to 18 is not well reflected in the in the English translation. We need to connect verse 18 with 16 and 17. And the phrase concerning the sons of men, and that's what's in my version, literally means for the sake of men or because of men. And so you have to look back and you have to see where that refers back to. And if you look at the context of those passages, you see that it refers back to the injustices mentioned in verse 16. So I'll read verse 18 with with the reflection of, of verse 16. Verse 18, he said, I see, I said in my heart, because of the injustices of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. This is all happening under the sun. Solomon is saying that because of the injustices he sees, God shows men that they are really like animals. They're really like beasts. Literally, it says they are animals with respect to themselves. Now Solomon is not saying that people are nothing more than animals. That's not what he's saying there. And we're going to see in verse 21, and that will clear that up. But Solomon is saying in verse 19 that people, like animals, die. Now we all agree with that. People, like animals, die. We have a common mortality. Verse 20 says that both people and animals come from the same dust of the earth, are given life by the same nephish, the same breath, and they go to the same place. That is, they return to the dust. That's what he says in verse 20. Dust we are, Genesis 3.19 says, dust we are, and to the dust we shall return. Um, a lot of pastors and preachers say that at funerals. That's, that's what we are. As we go into the ground, we're returning to the dust, and we'll, we'll be dust. So Solomon argues in verse 19 that man has no advantage over an animal, which in the end is vanity, it's meaningless. If we've not got no advantage over the beast, then life is meaningless. At this point, Solomon sounds like a modern evolutionary scientist, doesn't he? When you really think about it. Which is in fact what people have concluded without God. That people have concluded that we are under the sun, if you like, thinking of themselves without God in the picture. People love evolution. Evolution says we live and die just like any other animal. When we breathe our last, that's all there is. When our body is buried in the ground, we're really no better or better off than a dog that died. How many times have you heard scientists refer to us as animals? After all, we're descendants of apes, aren't we? Every time Karen hears that, she says, I am not an animal. (laughs) But Solomon knew there was one thing that could make a difference in the face of death. Even if it is true that our bodies will return to the dust, which it is true. He He thinks, and we'll see in the next verse, maybe something lives on. And if someone, if something lives on, if our souls live on, then this would clearly distinguish man from beast. And it would give Solomon some reassurance that oppressors will come to justice. It all depends on whether or not there's life after death. So he asked the question in verse 21. He asked the question, he says, who knows 
that the breath of man ascends upwards and the breath of beast descends down towards the earth. He's not sure about life after death. He says, who knows this? He's just uncertain. But can anyone really be sure what happens after death? How can we know for certain that after we die, we're going to go to heaven and live with God? How can we be certain that we're not just like an animal that we just go down to dust? You know, to me, and I I still remember as a non-Christian, this was the most fundamental question that I had was about my destiny. I was petrified of death because I had no idea what was going to happen. And it's a fundamental question that all of us probably ask about our destiny. We know that one day the time will come that we will die. The question is, will we live again? And that's what Solomon is wondering. He's asked the question, who knows whether the breath of men ascends upward? Will we live again or is life just vanity and meaningless because we're the same as beasts? This is what life is like under the sun, not knowing if there's an eternity after. But the fact is, knowing what will happen when we die would help us to understand how to live. Yet Solomon was finding uncertainty in this. Who knows, he says. And as he wrestled with this uncertainty, he went deeper down. Because his first impulse was to throw himself back into his work. Verse 22 says, I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities. For that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? I'm going to quote the New Living Translation. might clear it up a little bit better. He says, So I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. That is why we are here, after all. No one will bring us back from death to enjoy life after we die. You can see he's thinking, he asked that question. But he keeps thinking in his mind and he keeps going further down. In other words, we're not going to know what's going to happen to us after we die. So you may as well be happy with the work you do and get on with it, because that's what your lot is, just to work. You might have heard the saying, we only go round once in life, so grab all you can right now. That's, that's the philosophy under the sun. You only go around once, so grab it with both hands. And that's what Solomon is saying, basically. And then his, his scepticism turns to despair. He, he says, look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. There's that phrase again. Remember, he's reminding us this is under the sun, a life without God, a life that is just centered around yourself. I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun, and behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. The oppressed and the oppressors had no comfort under the sun. Verse 2, so I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. 
Boy, what a tumble he's taking into despair. A man who was the king of Israel, a man who had incredible wealth, a man who was wiser than anyone around him, a man who had sampled every pleasure under the sun, yet under the sun, in a life without God, he finds unfairness and injustice so appalling that he concludes it's better to be dead than alive. (coughs) Then he has an even better idea in verse 3. But better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. In other words, the best thing is not to be born at all. Where have you heard that before? In Job. Job, when he was going through the injustice of the world, he also said the same thing. You might recall Job 3.3. Let the day perish on which I was to be born and the night which said a boy is conceived. That's the despair you get down to under the sun, the despair, the spiral, as you look at the injustice, as you realise you're no different than the animals, as you realise all you've got in this world is to work, and you realise it's better that I wasn't born at all. This has been quite depressing, this is what what Solomon is spiralling down into, all because he was thinking to himself. Should have stopped in the first two verses and then gone to a, a godly man and said, talk to me about this. But no, he's, he let it spiral down. And that's what happens in our lives. We just keep thinking and thinking and not going and talking to someone in our minds and we spiral down to the fact where it's better that I wasn't even born. Can you imagine if you'd read this passage in your quiet time? Someone asked, what did you learn today? I learned that it's better off that I wasn't born at all. Not words of encouragement. But this passage is a part of a whole book, and this passage needs to be studied in the context of the book. Remember that Solomon is on a journey. Believe it or not, Solomon will eventually conclude that some of the thinking that he was going through was all goofed up. He's going to admit that at the end of the book. So in reading this passage, can we say that we've learned something better than I'm better off not being born at all? Do you think we can learn something from this passage? Well, let's start by pointing out some of the truths that Solomon did have, because what he was saying was not untruthful or wrong, it was just the way he was handling it. And the first thing that Solomon says that was absolutely right is, life is not just. I'll come out and say it now, pretty cruddy things happen to you. Just ten days ago, 298 people lost their lives enjoying the trip of their life. Injustice. Just a few months ago, my boss lost his wife to a heart attack in less than an hour from the time that she felt the pain to the time she passed. Disease and death strike in terrible ways. But it's not just disease and death which makes us aware of the injustice of life. There's cruelty and murder, emotional and physical abuse, being hurt by a family member or a close friend, being treated unfairly at work or at school. Life is sometimes just not just. It's just not fair. 
And Solomon was right about that. We look in the seats of justice and we see injustice. We look where righteousness should be and we see wickedness. So Solomon was right. Whether we're in Israel in 1000 BC or here in Adelaide in 2014, life is full of injustice. It's just not fair. So Solomon was right about that. He's also right about the fact that if this life under the sun is all there is, it probably is better that we had never been born. If this is all there is, if we believe that we die just like an animal, then there's no basis for anything but despair. Life would lack meaning, it would lack purpose. As someone living under the sun said, we're all on a sinking ship, none of us can escape, so we might as well go below deck and play cards. Let's eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Now I don't agree with that philosophy Obviously, but if, if, if in this life, under the sun, if that's all it is, then that philosophy makes sense, doesn't it? And so in our text, Solomon takes hold of those two truths. But at this point, he misses an even more important truth, which he'll eventually come to realise. Even though life is not just, God is just. Look at the end of, I'm going to go to the end, I've done this before, you always go to the end of a book to look at a mystery, Sharon doesn't like that. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 14 for me, because I have to keep pointing this out because Solomon's on a journey, he's spiralling down but I want to give you the closing line so you know that he's not, he does make it. Ecclesiastes 12.14 For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. As I said before, Abraham asked, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And it's a rhetorical question because we know that the answer is yes, he will. So in spite of the adversity and the tragedy and the injustice we see around us, despite the pain and the panic we experience in our own lives, God is going to make sure that justice is done. Everything will work out according to the counsel of his will. Paul tells us that in Ephesians 1.11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things are working to the counsel of God's will. Professor Charles Hodge said this, and I'd like to quote it to you. We can rejoice that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, that neither necessity, nor chance, nor the folly of man, nor the malice of Satan controls the sequence of events and all their results. We can rejoice that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. God will accomplish his purpose, which always includes his glory and our good. 
So life is not just, but God is. And while that in itself should be encouraging to us, there is more that we can cling to. Because even though this life is not just, the next life is. And the Bible assures us that we are not just like an animal when we die. Our spirit continues to live as our body goes back to dust. And so now we can answer Solomon's question in verse 21. Remember that question? His question was, who knows that the breath of men ascends upwards and the breath of the beast descends downward to the earth? And I can put my hand up and say, I do. I know. I now know. 1 Corinthians 15 is our encouragement. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. In other words, if Christ was just a man and he died on the cross, then we are under the sun, we're in no better place than Solomon, we might as well not have been born. But verse 20 goes on to say, But now Christ is risen from the dead, Hallelujah. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of the fact that three days after he was killed, he came back to life, we know that we too will be raised one day from the dead. So we can answer Solomon's question. And if we were able to have the New Testament and where we are now as As Jordan pointed out, the beauty that we have in the scriptures, if we could time travel back to where Solomon was, he could have answered all these questions. But he was journeying through and he didn't have the New Testament as we have it. God will always be a comfort in this life. And without a doubt, that's a great reason to be encouraged. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And we think about the fact that we too will be raised from the dead. But again, I'll go even further. That in itself is a poor summary of how the Bible responds to the pain of injustice. Because God will indeed make everything right in the next life. Revelation 21.4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. See, all of us want a Christianity that's relevant and practical in our daily lives. We all want that. And sometimes we may even ridicule those people who smack of a pie in the sky and buy and buy religion. But we need to remember that there is no promise for justice in this book. Outside of Christ. There is no promise in the pages of the Bible for true justice and fairness outside the Lord's return. It is only as the Lord returns that we can be certain justice will be done on this earth. And we have to know that and understand with that and live with that. Someone said the wheel of God's justice grinds slowly, but it grinds oh so fine. When the Lord returns, the scales of justice will be perfectly balanced. And that's God's promise to us. 
He never promised justice before that time. And that's why eternity is so absolutely essential to our biblical Christianity. That's why Solomon said back in 311, not long before with the start that what we're looking at, Solomon said in 311, he has made everything beautiful in its time, also he has put eternity in their hearts. God has made everything beautiful in its time, and God has put eternity in our hearts. And if we allow the preoccupation with the here and now to obscure our hope of eternal life, we're going to gut our faith with its power and we're going to spiral down like Solomon did. Life is not just, but God is. But what does this really mean for us in our daily lives? What does it, the idea that Solomon has spoken of and the idea that we have come up with, what does it really mean to us as we live our lives? Well, first of all, the first thing I thought about is each of us needs to seek God's mercy through Jesus Christ. That's the first thing this means. Because if God is just, which he is, then without his mercy, we're in a bad shape. Why? Because believe me, none of us in this room really want to be treated by God in the way we deserve to be treated by God. None of us want that. If God were to be just and treat us as we deserve, then we would all be punished for our sin. We need to realise that we are sinners, not because we robbed a bank or even because we drive 10 kilometres over the speed limit. We're sinners because of our sin nature and our constant rebellion against God. No human being on this planet perfectly obeys the Lord. So rather than needing God's justice, what we really need is his mercy. And the good news is that he offers that mercy to us freely in his son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he paid the penalty for that sin. For everyone who puts their trust in him for that, for that uh, expiation, for that payment of the sin, he has paid it. So yes, even though life under the sun is not just, we rejoice in the fact that God is not only just, but even more he's merciful. If you're here this morning and you have experienced God's mercy in your life and his grace, then you have a reason to rejoice and express your gratitude to the Lord. And I'll add on to that, no matter what else might be happening in your life. Why can we do that? Because no matter what's happening in your life, we as believers in Jesus Christ can look forward to the eternal life in heaven. And that, my friends, is far better than any of us deserve. But that's what's waiting for us as Christians. And so life isn't just. Life is hard. But if you think about it in your own mind, you will spiral down. 
You need to stop at the knowledge, as Solomon should have stopped at verse 18 or 17, and say, God will judge. To finish off this morning, because life is not judged but just, but God is, we need to be patient when injustice strikes you. Injustice will come into your life. Life is not fair. When I'm treated unfairly by someone, I want immediate justice. What about you? If you're, someone treated you unfairly, I want to I really get stuck into it. I want to say my two, two pennies worth. I want to get back at the person who has wronged me. But again, we have the New Testament and God says no. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. This doesn't mean we're to become doormats, not to let others walk over us. That's not what it's saying. But it does mean that we should focus on living in a way that pleases God by obeying Romans 12, 19. And then as we take 12.19 to heart, when we suffer injustice, God will take care of it. Maybe not on this planet, maybe not in the next week or the next year, but God will judge. The wheel of God's justice grinds slowly, but it grinds oh so fine. Sometimes it's not a particular person, but life itself which seems to treat you unjustly. A serious illness, a car accident, a huge bills you didn't expect. Life just doesn't seem to be fair. And when those type of things occur in our life, it's easy to start grumbling and complaining. Sometimes we might even get mad at God. Why did you allow this to happen in, in my life? Yet the Bible, coming back to, to his word... It makes it very clear that the Lord is not going to let us down. He has not forgotten us. He has not forsaken us. And we, as we go through those trials, need to be willing to trust him as Solomon should have when he quoted verse 18. He should have. We need to be willing to trust him and believe he'll make all things beautiful in his time, which is what Solomon told us. I'll finish off with the words of a hymn. It'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face and sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Even while life is not just under the sun, our hope doesn't lie in things under the sun. Our hope lies in the Lord Jesus Christ. And after all the troubles and the sorrows and the injustices, the risen Lord will raise up to glory and all justice will be complete. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this man, this king, who went on a journey. A journey that saw him look at life without you. Looking at life 
where the only person in the centre was himself. We thank you, Father, for the way that we can read how he went downhill, even to the point of not wanting to be born. And Father, I dare say that some of us have been in that place where the injustice of life has brought us to the point of spiring so far down that we don't even want to be here. Yet, Father, the answer doesn't lie in this world. The injustice will happen. It will continue to happen until our Lord returns. Father, we need to continue to look to you to understand that you are indeed our omnipotent God, our sovereign omnipotent God. Everything is being carried out according to your will. Nothing can stop that. Not man, not our foolishness, not even Satan can stop the plans that you have. And Father, you have set a day. Your scripture tells us the day has been set when the day of judgment will happen. In the meantime, Lord, you have placed eternity in our hearts. You have given us the knowledge that all things are made beautiful. And that, Father, we are look to look to you to be encouraged and to know that you are indeed our strength in times of trouble. You are our refuge. But we also thank you for the people around us. We thank you for this congregation. We thank you for our brothers and sisters. And when we're, Father, help us that when we're looking in our own mind, when we're talking to ourselves and spiralling down, that we just stop and talk to someone, talk to our brother or our sister, to help us through the problems because we are a body. Help us to talk to those around us and not just to say in our hearts and in our minds what is happening. So, Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, even though it's uh, depressing as Solomon spiralled down, Lord, we thank you that we have an answer. And we ask that you would help us to live according to that answer, even in the injustice of this life. We thank you for this word in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Just take a couple of minutes before you get up just to contemplate the knowledge that if Solomon had just stopped and spoke to someone after he reached the answer, that God will judge. Yet he went on in his own mind. Maybe you need to speak to someone this morning. Maybe you're heading down that spiral. You just need to draw alongside a brother or a sister and say, I don't want to say it in my own mind anymore. I want to say it to you, help me and pray so that I don't spiral down as Solomon did. So just take a couple of minutes. Just think about if there's anyone or anything you need to talk to anyone about. <laughs>